What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 84 of the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. It is finally here. We had our draft extravaganza. This one's about two hours, so buckle up. We had Mike French on, and let me tell you, you are not going to get analysis like this from anywhere else. He broke down top five players at every single position to start, gave us an in-depth description of all of them. Then after that, he gave us a Jets and Giants full seven-round mock draft, which was incredible, and then he went up and down with a full first-round mock draft. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports. Follow us on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports. If you want to write an article for us, Sorry Sports at Yahoo.com is where you're going to email it. If you have any questions or concerns, send an email there for that as well. Um, and obviously, check out the website as well, Sorry Sports.com. All of Mike's content will be up. Four out of the five articles are available right now, which are the Jets and Giants mock draft full. Uh, Frenchie's five, which are our top five players, is available. And his full first-round mock draft will be available before draft day, probably tomorrow. And then Sean has also written an article about the Brooklyn Nets and the Philadelphia 76ers. Give that one a look. And finally, Mike Phillips from the Just on the Suffering pod, shout-out to him, wrote an article about the NHL and the Islanders as well. So give that one a read. Um, enjoy the pod, and happy Easter. everybody welcome back to sorry to interrupt this is a good day we've been teasing this for a bit um this is our full nfl pre-draft special um we've got a lot to discuss everybody uh following the website has seen that we posted a lot of articles recently courtesy of mr mike french uh doing his french five the giants mock and the jets full mock um with a first round uh full mock coming and he's joining us today. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, first of all, Tom, how are you, my man? What's going on, Mike? Thank you for coming on. And Frenchie, thank you for all the up? articles. What's up, bud? Yeah, Tom, Sean, thanks for having me. Love the opportunity to talk draft whenever I get it. And it's uh, great to be on with you, too. Cool, man. It's, it's great to have you. So we're going to lead off with the French Five. So the French Five, just tell us a little bit about what what you ended up doing here um, and what, drew, what uh, drove you to be doing this. And... Um, and just kind of the whole background with the players that you're looking at here. Yeah, so the French Five just kind of came about, you know, a little bit talking around people. I'm just a draft nerd. I'm a draft junkie. I'm a proud owner of NFL GM, the video game. Uh, back when that was a thing about a decade ago, <laughs> like, this is my favorite part of the season. It's just, it's, it's so exciting stuff. So. Um, I just start, you know, putting out my list. We see all sorts of prospect lists. We see everybody doing their positional rankings and the rest. Um, I felt that everyone else's was wrong. So <laughs> I went out there and uh, made my own. I mean, that seems to be why everyone's doing it. Like, I think I've got something else to say about these pieces. So um, from what I got, we're just going to go position by position. I'll try and talk a little bit about the depth and how I feel about the position itself. Um, and just kind of work through the prospects as we go. Sounds awesome, man. Well, let's get us started. So we're going to lead off with the number one position on the field, and that's the quarterback position. So you have Dwayne Haskins at number one. Tell us why, and give us a little background on the Ohio State prospect. So Haskins, I just love what he brings to the field in terms of high IQ. Um, if you listen to Urban Meyer talk about Haskins, that's the number one thing he brings up all the time. 
Um, and when you're surrounded by top players at Ohio State, you're not going to have a ton of opportunity to, you know, really elevate people to the next level typically. But I think the way that he carried himself through the Meyer suspension, changing from uh, Meyer today back to Meyer through all of that showed some high IQ, high character. The first thing Urban Meyer talked about um, when he was on a radio show yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago, was the fact that um, Haskins did so much at the line fixing his protections, flipping protections, sliding um, the line in different ways to keep himself from getting hit. Uh, I think his pocket mobility is a bit underrated. We saw a lot of that in the Michigan game uh, where their pass rush was still pretty effective in terms of collapsing the pocket when they tried to go a little bit deeper. Um, he's able to step up, avoid some pressure. Uh, I love his accuracy, the way he throws the ball. It's not a top-tier arm, but there's no question. He can make every throw in the game, um, and he does it with a lot of accuracy, especially in the short and intermediate game. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as a Giant fan here, I, I've had his name circled the longest for a quarterback prospect that the Giants could go with, especially early in the draft. You believe he's going to yep. be the first one taken, or at least he's your number one on your big board. Now, uh, oh, go I ahead. Think he's, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, obviously, Ohio State quarterbacks don't have the best reputation. We witnessed last year Sam Darnold being taken third overall by the Jets as a USC product, which has also had its own question mark just based off of the pedigree of the players at that position translating to the next level. Do you see any issues here, or do you just take this as an individual case and he's the best one that's come out? I think quarterback, you have to go with individual cases. Part of the problem in evaluating uh, the number one school's quarterbacks has to do with that fact of the talent around them can occasionally elevate them more than they would be elevating the talent themselves. And I think that can be the bigger question when you're evaluating players in that mold. Um, my biggest question with Haskins is just the matter of he started one season. Um, your average Pro Bowl quarterback has about 34 college starts. Um, so I think that he and Murray at number two have a lot of questions just in terms of you know, college career longevity. Um, I don't think that Haskins will step in and change a franchise immediately. I think the Giants situation is perfect on both ends. I think a situation in Denver would work for him with Flacco. Uh, even Dalton in Cincinnati, if he sat behind him for a little bit, I think he would really benefit from those pieces as well. Um, he does have a little bit of baby fat on him, but I think an NFL workroom, NFL workload, and the rest of the pieces that go into being a full-time quarterback – um, are going to help him there as well. So all situations um, perfect for him. What, what's your comp? What, what, what do you think he's going to turn out to be in the NFL if everything goes well for this guy? Everything goes well for him. I see Matt Ryan. I think they have a similar motion. Um, I think they're great in the intermediate game, do well in the short passes, but also have a nice job of leading receivers, especially when it comes to the deep ball. Um, Ryan also kind of came out with a few questions, not particularly about experience, um, but what he was going to do with that arm, how it was going to develop. Um, they're both a bit statuesque. I'd say Haskins has a little bit more uh, mobility, but I do think that you know Ryan does duck a piece or two in the pocket. We saw that as his line hasn't been great over the last two years. He can still make do, um, but I think Haskins and Matt Ryan are pretty similar in the kinds of things I'm seeing. 
Interesting, interesting comp. All right, so you mentioned Kyler before. He's another first-year starter, and it's interesting that both the quarterbacks that you have is one, two, are first-year starters. And just a quick sidebar, I've, I've found it very interesting that it seems like, you know, the general consensus is that um, is that Kyler is, you know, a surefire thing, and he was only a one-year starter, albeit a Heisman winner. And Haskins has kind of gotten pushed aside a little bit, and his criticism has been that he's a one-year starter. So I've, I've found that a little odd. But Kyler Murray did win the Heisman this year at Oklahoma. He's, you know, uh, uh, he he can do everything, and we've seen him be electric on the field in his short sample size. You even have that here at number two. Electric as a runner and has a strong arm, but mm-hmm. ironically, he struggles throwing on the move. Tell us yeah. what you believe more about Kyler and why he's your number two. So, uh, talking about Kyler right now, I feel like it puts you in a weird position because it's someone who you can love as a player and don't think should go one overall um, based on his skill set. And that's where a lot of people are projecting. I don't want to give away too much of what I'm doing with him in mind. But um, I think, number one, he'll be able to slide better than RG3 since he has that baseball background. That'll be key for him. Um, I think that he does have a pretty damn strong arm. Um, he flings it from the pocket. His offensive system did set him up very well to succeed. Uh, but we saw that with Baker last year. You know, Baker went from that nice Oklahoma offense to start doing some great things in the pros. So I still have, you know, questions about is Lincoln really just going to make everyone a star? Um, quick side note, I'm fascinated to see what he does with uh, Jalen Hurts this year. But I love a lot of what Kyler can bring in terms of the quick passing attack. Um, We haven't seen him stand in the pocket and just wait for the pieces to develop, eye the field, draw the safety one way. Um, Those pieces are a little bit more rare from Kyler's tape, but he is electric in every area of the field, every aspect. Um, Size is always going to be a concern. He didn't really take any hits until the Alabama game, but he jumped right back up from them. Um, you know, you can question his size, but I don't think we've seen a lot of questioning of his toughness. He's a quiet leader from what people have been talking about, which may or may not work for every team. Um, I do think that he brings a lot of just confidence. And that's a word you always hear when people discuss Kyler is that confidence. I think he went 44 and O or 46 and O in high school hasn't lost a game since middle school, in addition, well, of course, until college um, when he did lose, what was that, one, two, get to Alabama, of course, and <laughs> But what we have is a player who is going to bring electricity, energy, and an amazing skill set that we really haven't seen, you know, since Mike Vick. That's the clearest comp. I'm not a huge kind of cop guy because I feel like you're always going to have to sacrifice pieces, but that's the clear one for Kyler. I was listening to um, people talking about Kyler again, Urban Meyer kind of compared him to Braxton Miller. Uh, The unfortunate part of that comparison is you're comparing an NFL quarterback to a NFL receiver who I think is now cut from the Texans. Um, But he has this electricity, this confidence, this cool, calm demeanor throughout it all. I think he'll bring a lot to the NFL. There are still questions. Again, he does have an extra three starts to him from Texas A&M, but still 17 starts. It's half as many as the average Pro Bowl quarterback. We are, I do think that we're going to see 
Uh, quarterbacks come out with fewer starts with more regularity. Yep. So that number may be dropping slowly, but it's still a concern. Yeah. One year of tape, we see sophomore slumps happen in the NFL all the time. You don't get the chance to see if that would have happened in college as well, especially going up against Big 12 defenses, which are just notoriously putrid. And how many D1 um, prospects from the Big 12, their top-level guys, are legitimate pro prospects on the defensive end? You know, very few. Yeah, Far good point. fewer than a lot of other places he could have gone and played at and the rest. Absolutely. Um, so, so that's always just another question, but... You watch him throw for his size or not for his size. He's got a great arm. Yeah, he um, really does. He really does. Yeah, it, it, it gets underrated with the rest of his abilities, but he can slide. He can move in the pocket. I'm not so concerned about his height. I'm more concerned about his weight. I know he came in at the combine at 207, but he That's questionable. looks like, he, yeah, he's, also he looks like he's playing a lot. So. He looks like he plays a lot smaller. Um, you know, we see guys in boxing just chugging water before they step on the scale. There's all sorts of ways that you can fudge those numbers. I think that would be the bigger concern than being 5'10". Yeah, I agree. So let's go to number three, Drew Locke out of Missouri. So he's an actual, he, he started 46 games, which is 12 more than the average. And the thing that I've always liked about Drew Locke is he plays in the SEC and Tom mm-hmm. laughs at me for using this term, but battle-tested. He's playing top-tier defensive talent every week. Um, his win-loss record wasn't the best, but it's Missouri. It's it's not Georgia. Um, he's, he seems to be the prototypical kind of quarterback. So you have here massive arm and solid footwork. Uh, that experience, obviously, that we highlighted. Um, dis- struggles with decision-making and has – uh, and and seems to force passes. Tell us a little bit more about that and where you see him um, as a be- as his best case scenario when he's drafted on Thursday. I see a lot of trust in his arm, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not always a good thing either. Are you saying a little gunslinger? He's got that gunslinger in him, absolutely. Uh, a couple years ago. There was a GM who was being asked about the strongest arms in college right now, and everyone was saying Josh Allen, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. He shook his head and said Drew Locke. Drew Locke has an absolute rocket of an arm. Um, And with that, we see this all the time, the need to try and make that big play, to force the ball into double coverage because you've got the arm talent to do it. Um, He doesn't always take the safe play. And that's going to drive a coordinator crazy until it completes and he's jumping up and down. He's got that gunslinger in him. He has that attitude. He has that confidence. His confidence was the number one story coming out of the senior bowl. Uh, He just connects with people. He worked well in that situation in terms of making connections with receivers. I know it's just one week, but to be able to do that and to change how you work with receivers in that little bit of time, I think speaks to it. Great frame, tested real well at the combine. Uh, I don't put a lot of weight into the kinds of 40 times and the rest of it for quarterbacks, but it was nice seeing him show up with a little more speed than we thought. I do think he had some movements. Another piece with Locke, he had three different uh, coaches in his ear in his time there and three totally different offensive systems. His last one was the first real pro system that he had. 
um, with Derek Dooley running the offense down in Missouri now. And I do think that the fact that his numbers have been improving with each of those and he showed the ability to run a real pro system with very few, again, picks around him. You know, you want to talk about SEC competition. There are more first-rounders on most, if not all, the defenses that he played than there were draft picks on his offense. Wow. The kinds of things that he was doing with that. I think Missouri has one offensive player, Emmanuel Hall, who's going to be a day-three pick as a wide receiver, and there's not a lot of other players from that offense getting chosen. And he's been able to go in there and show in a lot of – you know, tough situations that he himself has that toughness to keep going. I really trust Locke. I do think that there are really three top quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, People talk about the top two the most. I do think Locke is in that range with them. Mm -hmm. I have him as third, but I think the drop-off comes after Locke. And after that, about four to eight or so, I think is a nice little group in that tier two. Um, but I got three guys in my top tier for this draft. Well, you're segueing us quite nicely because number four, and this one was interesting to me. I know you and I have had some discussions about Will Greer and where he fits in as a prospect. Tom and I have talked about him in passing on this podcast, um, going back to the regular season, and then also um, you know, just talking about what we're looking for for teams, especially as we've done some Giants talk. He is mm-hmm. an option. You have Will Greer from West Virginia as your number four quarterback. Now, obviously – He was known for the PED suspension at Florida, left Florida, goes to West Virginia, a Big 12-style offense, and seems to say that he shines brightest on the biggest of stages. That's a really good thing. I've always liked what I've seen from Greer. I like his arm a lot. Tell us a little quick uh, summary on him. Uh, Quick summary. He's a guy who needed to mature. He spent some time doing that. You know, with a year off and some time in West Virginia, I think that, you know, as an outsider, I have no contact with these players. But you can see the kind of growth that he's made personally in what he's overcome with suspensions and changing schools and the rest of it. I do think West Virginia was a great place for him. Um, You know, you get out of those spotlights and things like that. It allows you to kind of recoup, reflect, and then move on from there. I think he's got a better arm than he was given credit for. His Oklahoma tape was great. Again, playing Oklahoma's defense, most tape is great. But he just places the ball so well. Uh, I do think that he has that Baker Mayfield kind of swag. I think that he could have a Mayfield-type comp. The reason I don't have him in my top three is because he has also shown to have a bit up and down, to lack consistency. I think he's got a little bit more boom and bust. While he does have a higher ceiling than my number five, Daniel Jones, uh, I also think he has a lower floor. So there is going to be some risk with Greer. Okay. Do you see him as a first-rounder, or do you see him being taken later on? Uh, I'd see him. Someone could jump up in the late one. Um, beyond that, I could see, you know, earliest I could see him going, maybe if the Chargers wanted to start getting their back up for Rivers and felt like they would use a one to do it. Same with, uh, what we have in New England, but 37 to the Giants, I think is another spot where if they really decide they want Eli for two years instead of just the potential one and they want to kind of draw that out i think that if they took someone at 37 it would be a lot easier to keep them on the bench for good if eli has struggles and that might be more in line of what gettleman's thinking i think 37 to the giants would be a spot that greer may go it's interesting too to hear you talk about greer and tom i want to get your take on it too is you know 
it sounds like he's a guy who would be that perfect step in guy, learn from a Hall of Famer, whether it be the Chargers, Patriots, or Giants. Make sure his maturity's on point. Get him in a structured situation, learning behind a guy that's gonna that's one in this league and going to the Hall of Fame, as opposed to going to a team where he might be asked to slide in and and maybe that immaturity would go. Tom, what do you think of that? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that if you're drafting him as to be to be your starter within the next two years, you're kind of sol on that, and you're not going to be a very good team. But looking at it from the Giants' perspective, because you are a Giants fan, I I just I'm worried about it because, I mean, I don't know how much Eli has left. If you look at it from the Patriots, that's an infrastructure that you trust. Phil Rivers seems to be playing at a high level as opposed to Eli Manning. So for the Chargers, I think it would be a good idea as well if um, Mike and you both feel that this guy with three years under his belt, two year, two and a half years under his belt, could be a NFL caliber starting quarterback and win you some games. Just as the Giants, that's a major red flag because I, you've said it before. I think we should be looking – for the next starter next year past Eli. I don't know if Eli has two years left under his belt. No, I don't either. Frenchie, what about you, man? Uh, it, I, I would agree with that again, but what we think and what Gettleman thinks seem to be some pretty divergent points, and I think that's fair for most fans. One more team to throw in with Greer in the second round that I think would be a nice fit is the Bengals. Yeah. Uh, they got Zach Taylor in. He may be looking for a new QB since – that's what he's supposed to be the expert in. Uh, Greer has that kind of ability to just galvanize the people. Uh, Bengals at 42 is another spot to watch him if he's in that early mix. All right, my man. Let's do our last quarterback here. You have Daniel Jones from Duke. You know I'm not a fan. Convince me otherwise. I know you're not a fan. Uh, but Jones has a lot going for him. Um, doesn't have a great arm. And I know that's not going to wow anybody um, when you watch him throw. But if you watch him read, he does well. Uh, I don't make a ton out of the Cutcliffe connection. If you'll check out my article on the French Five, you'll see that. Um, The only all-star not named Manning that Cutcliffe has worked with is Todd Helton. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, it's because he doesn't play football. He's (laughs) an MLB all-star. But beyond those kinds of pieces, he's got good technique. He has a compact delivery. He's one of, if not the best runner or throwers on the run in this draft. Uh, when he's in the pocket, he does have a little mobility to him. Uh, he's got a high floor, whereas Greer, I could potentially see out of the league in four or five years. I don't see that with Daniel Jones. Uh, I think he's somewhere between Alex Smith and Mitchell Trubisky, and that might not excite anybody, but we've seen them win a lot of games in this league. Uh, Smith more than Trubisky because he has a longer time. Um, the way that the read option has been working in the NFL and the way that we've slowly been using it more and more, um, we watched Foles tear through a couple different defenses with that in, diff- in the last two playoff runs. Uh, I see Daniel Jones being able to work in some of those pieces as well. Um, high character guy, not a lot of questions in that way. Uh, multi-year captain, which you always want to see on some of these guys. Um, completion percentage was a bit low, but a lot of the passes he was trying to make, um, they had a high stretch passing game, kind of like a Brian Kelly offense. You're not going to see low completion percentages from those. Um, I, again, I think he just has a high floor. He's the kind of guy who's not going to wow you. You're going to need to put some good pieces around him, but he's someone who's going to be able to win games. Uh, whether or not he becomes a top tier starter, 
think there's questions about that. But at worst, you're getting someone who's going to be able to step in in a year or two and win a lot of football games with pieces around him. That might not be what everybody wants at six. It might not be what everybody wants at 17 or even 37. Um, but he's going to be able to win games in this league with the skills that he has, being a high IQ player, uh, and just the kinds of ability and talent that you need matched with good technique and um, just, you know, his overall kind of game. All right, so you say that he has a much higher floor than uh, than Greer does. So what do you see? Worst-case scenario, him being a, a solid career backup, and best-case scenario, him being kind of a middle-of-the-road, I guess you would say, Alex Smith, um, Mitchell Trubisky, build a really strong defense and a really a lot of skill position players around him type player. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, and another player that I would put in that same kind of mold is Dak Prescott. We've seen him win back-to-back or uh, two of the last three NFC East titles. I think he has a similar game to Dax as well. Um, again, that's not something that's going to wow you and say, what, look at that 75-yard bomb like a Pat Mahomes. Um, but he is someone who's going to be able to step in, run an NFL offense, and win a lot of games. Cool deal. All that right, doesn't, that doesn't look too bad for the Giants if you can build a team around him, Shawnee boy. I no, don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not sold on him. I mean, even even with what you've said about him, I mean, I like the fact that he can run a room. And you keeping your pants on? I thought the in. pants were coming off after he started talking about him. No, 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 no. The pants okay. are the pants are on. Um, now let's go into running backs, Wrenchy. We're going to talk about two. Roll Tide Alabama running backs. Oh, here we go. Tom hates Alabama and he hates college football. Um, we're going to lead with Josh Jacobs, who you have as number one. We saw a lot of him. You said he's the most complete back in the class. Doesn't have a single elite skill set, but he's solid at everything, including blocking. So I'm assuming that he doesn't have any elite skill sets. This pool's a little bit weaker than running backs of the past drafts? Yeah, the running back class here is it, – it, it's it's – fairly cool it's a puddle it's dry um there's a lot of players that you're going to be able to work into a rotation who are going to have homes and roles in this league um but there is no one that you're going to look at and say wow they can really step in and there's no running back who is going to change life for you in this class there's no saquon barkley in this draft no there's no saquon there's no fournettes there's no mccaffrey's um you know it's tough to find a kareem hunt um you know, just talking third round, mid round picks that you say, wow, like they've got this whole package and this elite thing that they can do. Um, you know, sometimes there's, an, you know, someone like a Miles Sanders has this great run after catch and different things. But again, everyone in this class, you know, beyond Jacobs, who I think is just kind of an all around player, um, there's no one that you look at and say three down back. All right. So you got Damian Harris, another Alabama running back at two. Mm-hmm. Record for fewest carries by a top running back. What do you think of him, and where does he translate to in the pros? I think he's going to translate to someone who plays a bit more under center than most. He has a great downhill burst, um, but he's also a bit patient at the line, which is tough to see in college running backs. Um, he is someone that doesn't go down easy. We all love seeing that. Um, he'll fight for that extra yard, give you the stiff arm, and go down with you instead of walking out of bounds. Um, and that's easy to do when there's so much tread left on the tires. Part of being at Alabama means it's back. Your big game is going to be 12 or 15 carries. You know, we see it so many of these running backs. Saquon has had games in college where he had 30 touches. Right. Um, he also had games at 12 touches. 
And a lot of the Bama backs tend more towards the latter of those. Uh, he's got a lot going for him. He has soft hands, but we didn't see him as a blocker. Josh Jacobs did a lot of the pass protection as a running back. That's becoming more and more critical in this league and a big reason why I have Jacobs ahead of Paris. You got Miles Sanders from Penn State at three. Stepped mm-hmm. in and got the bulk of the carries after Saquon left. You said he needs to be part of a committee but has soft hands and can move through contact as a smaller running back. Do you see him as a guy who can step out and cover it or in uh, at the line of scrimmage too and catch and be kind of like that scat back? Yeah, scat back is a great way to describe him. He's not going to be great going through the tackles, um, but he has some – Big play burst to him. He has a great juke, especially when he's out on the sidelines. Um, we're making it so corners have to tackle more and more in this game, and Sanders is going to make that tough on him. Okay. Devin. So he's more of like a Darren Sproles or a, um, on the Giants, like a Gallman-type player? Yeah, I, I would say more like Sproles. Um, you know, we do see Gallman pass protect better than Sanders ever did. Okay. Um, but he, he definitely has that quick burst. He'll be able to catch the Texas route, catch the swing, run the screen. Um, potentially, he'll be able to motion out of the backfield um, and get you a drag and get you a slant as well. Um, great hands, great change of direction. He's going to find a home and a place in the league. Good deal. How about Devin Singletary, Florida Atlantic? Not a lot of people have watched him play, I'm sure. Uh, that's the little Lane Kiffin, or uh, that's Lane Kiffin, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Down at Fort Atlantic. Yeah, so he, you said he, no running back got hurt as badly by the combine as him. Oof. What happened that's to him cool. at the combine? He ran a four six six forty. That's not good. That, that is not good. It's, it's bad, um, especially for someone who already had questions. Um, you don't see a lot of slow 5-7 running backs, and that's the real piece. If he was – this big hulking back, it wouldn't be so bad that he ran what he did. And he didn't test well in, in uh, other pieces either. He didn't have a uh, nice trip to Indiana. But he still has a good mix of power and balance. He burst through the line. He had 32 touchdowns two years ago. Um, last year he played great. Not small, short. Um, they call him motor down at FAU because his is always going. Uh, you don't watch... Devin Singletary run out of bounds. He will find a corner, find a safety, whoever it is there, and he will just give them one last hit before he's knocked out of bounds. So you got to like that. And then the last you have is David Montgomery from Iowa State. Strong value as a rotational back. Just a quick preview of him. Uh, He's going to burst through the line. He's going to be great in rotation as the goal line piece. Uh, he, He just powers through people. And he does have a quick cut. Uh, he's not going to be the patient, hold back, make you miss kind of guy, but foot in the dirt, one cut and up. Okay. Okay. Where's the earliest you see a running back being taken here in this draft? Uh, 22 to the Ravens, 24 to the Raiders. Um, those would be the spots that I could see Jacobs going. Uh, part of why I could see Jacobs going in that range I don't necessarily think that he's a first rounder, especially in you know the twenties. I can understand late. You know, thirty two is basically a day one and thir- or a day two, and thirty three is basically a day one at this point, right? Um, but because there is only one running back that you could see potentially being a three down back, you know that scarcity could prompt a team um, to take him a bit earlier than they otherwise may. Someone like Indianapolis. Um, the Colts might try and get him at 26 instead of waiting for that Jets pick in the second round to come through because they know there is only one back. 
All right, so why don't we go ahead and move on to the wide receivers. Um, a guy here that you have ranked fourth is the guy that kind of stole the show at the Combine, and I'm me being on the outside looking in, not really being a college football guy, as Sean said, I hated DJ Metcalf being ranked yeah. fourth. So, I mean, I think you were talking about a guy who the, the Combine didn't treat well. I think there was nobody that, treated, that got treated better by the Combine than Metcalf. But let's go over the wide receivers because I'm interested to see what you have to say about him. You have him ranked fourth. Number one, we have A.J. Brown from D.J. Metcalf School, Old Miss. So why don't you talk to us about him and uh, explain why D.J. Metcalf's so low a little bit further on. Yeah, so uh, we'll start with Brown. Start at the top. Why not? Great hands. He uses those hands at the line, running his route and catching the ball. Not a body catcher. Doesn't have the crocodile arms. Makes it with his hands. He's played slot. He's played outside. Um, I just I watch A.J. Brown play. Um, he might be a little bit bigger than this receiver, I'm going to say, but he just screams Anquan Bolden to me. Um, he's got the ability to play inside out. He's ran a ton of different routes throughout his time at Ole Miss, a lot of that being due to Metcalf's um, persistent injury history, which I'll get into at the four. Um, but he just he knows how to play the game. His routes are crisp. He's got great hands. He can go inside and out. Um, I just look at A.J. Brown as someone who, again, when we're talking floor and ceiling, high floor, um, but I also give him a moderately high ceiling. I don't think that he's got that you know, potential Julio in him and the rest. Um, but Anquan Bolden was eight years of 1,000 yards, um, and that's the kind of guy that I see A.J. Brown being. All right, let's move on to the next guy, Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Nikhil Harry. Um, another one, a, a big piece for me when I'm looking at college receivers, how many routes do you run? He has a spectacular route tree. Uh, he's similar to Josh Jacobs and how I've looked at him. Doesn't have that one top-tier elite piece, um, but he's very good in a lot of things. High points the ball well, um, willing to put his body on the line to make the catch, and often did. And when he has a crossing route, he ran a lot of digs. And when he made that break, came back, found the ball, didn't wait for it to get to him, met it with his hands, turned upfield. Um, again, doesn't have that quick move, that lateral quickness, but he does have a nice one cut and up. All right, so that within him, we're talking about a guy that's already technically sound. He he doesn't really have anything that he needs to work on. He's already kind of a, a produced product out of uh, Arizona State. Yeah, I, I think he still has, you know, I think he's another one who an NFL weight room and an NFL training program will be beneficial for. Because those little things that he's already doing well, when you pack on that year-round NFL training, that next level that you can have, all of those pieces are just going to keep on improving. Um, I think Harry can have a great career here. All right, moving on to the next guy, we have Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Marquise Brown, he'd have been my number one if he could have weighed a little bit more and stayed a lot healthier. Um, he is one of the fastest players that you're ever going to see on tape. Um, didn't run a ton of different routes, um, but he has a great mix of short routes, deep routes, and intermediate. He was in that Oklahoma offense where you're going to see people flying all over the field. No one flew quicker. Um, great hands, but injury concerns, um, it, it's a question. It has to be a question. He's small and short. You know, we talk about people who are short, not small, small, not short. He is both. But he has, he's 
fastest he could have tested better than Metcalf. Um, my guess is he probably would have beaten him in the 40 if he was healthy enough, but that's always going to be the concern with Hollywood Brown. Is he going to be healthy for you? Sounds like we're talking about a Deshaun Jackson type player here. Absolutely. I think Deshaun Jackson to Marquise Brown is one of the easier comps to make. And if we could think about how Deshaun Jackson would come into today's league and the kind of impact that he could make in all sorts of different ways. I mean, even just if when Deshaun Jackson came out, if he got a jet sweep every three weeks, you know, the kind of impact and those little gadget pieces that you can use now. We already saw Hollywood Brown doing this at Oklahoma. He has those moves. He has a deep route tree. And beyond that, he has everything from the bubble screen to the jet sweeps to putting him in the backfield once or twice. Riley was not afraid to use this weapon he had, and he used him well. All right, this is the this is the one we got to talk about because Tom Tom and I talked about Metcalf leading up to the combine. I wanted him third, I and mean, Tom was talking third, and then when I talked to you, you were like, "Oh, absolutely not! This is." A... I think he'd be a great second round pick for someone, but he's going to go higher. All yeah. right, so let's talk about it. Obviously, freak of nature physically, and his what he tested at in the combine was arguably the number one story of the combine. So why do you have him fourth? This is DJ Metcalf, of course. Yeah, DK Metcalf. Um, I have him fourth because the pieces that we get excited at the combine aren't the pieces that get GMs excited. So we get owners and fans excited. We saw Al Davis get excited for Darius Hayward Bang take him in the top ten. Um, John Ross last year did this, or two years rather. Um, People who blow up at the 40s, it doesn't translate to NFL success. I'm not saying he wouldn't be successful because of it. Um, you know, all of a sudden he does something well, and I have to say, well, hold on. Um, I just I don't want to over-elevate someone because of how they perform in shorts. That's not how football is played. Um, if he is this kind of freak that we see, why does he have 67 catches in a three-year career? Injuries? I think that, that's a big question that has to get asked. Um, injuries came up big. He I would have to say his up. hands are probably terrible too. And his hands aren't great. He doesn't high point the ball well either. You look for someone with that kind of size, that kind of strength. A.J. Brown is the one that they were going to in the red zone. Um, Metcalf is someone who is going to blow by you, outsize you. Um, sometimes he'll go up, meet the ball, but he's trying to make the over-the-shoulder catch. He's trying to burn past you and then let the ball meet him where he is. Now, the reason I still have him in the top five of my wide receiver in the French five is because if this man hits, he'll be a stud. He has a high ceiling, but again, I think he has a far lower floor than people are willing to talk about right now. He has a lot of injuries. He has some easy drops, but he also has some great highlights. Unfortunately, in those highlights, we see that lack of quickness. The wide receiver pieces at the combine that most translate to success are the shuttle drills. And in those kinds of drills where you're talking about that lateral mobility, that quickness, Metcalf tested in the bottom half. He didn't show that he has that kind of all-around workout. If he hits, if he hits, he's going to be a stunt. We can all be aware of that. But I think that it's not a given. I don't think that it's as obvious that he's going to hit. 
Interesting. Yeah, because his story has been well documented, and especially if you're not following college football, you know, the degree that you are. I mean, you just see Metcalf, and he explodes off the screen to you. Let's wrap up the wide receivers by talking about Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State. Big receiver has great control that you mentioned. Calvin Johnson working out with him. You saw that on some of the NFL social media, so he's drawn some cops yep. there. Oh, yeah. we got Everyone's got to love that. I think uh, comparing anyone to Calvin Johnson does get a little ahead of you, but he has that Calvin Johnson body, and when he's in the air, he has that control over his body. He can high point the ball. He'll keep his toes in bounds. Um, he just has that ability, especially in the red zone. For his size, um, we're talking a 6'4 receiver here in, in Hakeem Butler. Um, he does have some good lateral mobility. He has a little quickness in the open field um, to help himself get open. He does have bad case of the drops now and again um but one of the things that you have to like about butler is the way that he's willing to go into traffic to make the big catch yeah you gotta like that especially with a lot of the way that the that the offensive games have been going lately i mean you're gonna have to have a guy that's capable of doing that and fearless all right so we're gonna talk about your mock draft later but where do you see the first wide receiver going i'm not gonna ask you who it is because we'll talk about that further down the line but where do you see the first one coming off the board if the Packers decide to get a little too excited, I could see them jumping the gun at 12. Um, more likely, I see a receiver coming off the board in the 20s. Okay, absolutely. That sounds Another great. team to watch out for a wide receiver, um, Redskins at 15. Okay. All right, so let's move on to the tight end. Um, the first one you have is TJ Hawkerson from Iowa. I feel like yeah, Iowa's TJ a good tight end school. Yeah, Iowa's a... a I have to admit, I love Iowa prospects. They've got the top two tight ends in this class. I think that's pretty on board with the same things you'll see in most people's rankings. Um, Hawkinson, big body, didn't have a you know blow your mind kind of combine the way that people were excited about. Um, but there aren't a lot of tight ends that we talk about going top ten. It's a legitimate possibility with Hawkinson. He is a great blocker, which you just don't see. He even runs blocks angry, which you like to see. He's faster on tape than he's going to be in shorts without a helmet. Um, He's not someone that you're going to need to convince to play the game in any aspect of the game. He comes in NFL ready as a tight end can come. And then you've got Noah Fant, who's that second tight end at Iowa. Yep, Noah Fant's more in that Jimmy Graham kind of mold. Um, There's going to be an offensive coordinator who's going to have to try and convince him to block uh, this last year, Hawkinson took a lot of the shine away from Fant. You could see that reflected in his game. Um, he tested great. He's got good size, big body. He's the kind of passing weapon that a lot of teams are looking for in the tight end. He didn't have top numbers, but if you watch him on film, um, you could see that this is a player with a lot of potential and a lot of talent. The other thing I like about the Iowa prospects is you know what you mentioned about the toughness they've got that big 10 toughness and everybody listening knows that i'm not a big fan of the big 10 but i respect certain positions especially in football based off of toughness and iowa never has any shortage of that so these two guys you got to feel like are going to hit regardless of to what extreme we're going to find out but i i have no doubt that they're going to be successful players in the nfl right yeah and kirk ferentz does a great job of picking the kinds of players that he wants at Iowa. He's not just looking out there to hit on talent. He has a culture, and if you're going to be beyond the bounds of that culture, he's not going to find you. 
All right, Herb Smith translating uh, to the next level, the tight end out of Alabama. We've seen O.J. Howard have a pretty nice pretty nice level of success in his first few years in the league. Tell us about Herb Smith Jr. Yeah, we've seen O.J. Howard come on. Tight end is typically a slow-developing position. There's so much going on. You're working with the O-line coaches. You're working in the passing game. Um, it's tough to really just jump off quickly as a tight end. Um, Herb Smith has some of that. I think he has a lot of ability, good speed, not top of the line, but he is he's quick. He's a bit quicker than he is fast. Um, he's decent as a blocker. He's a little small. He's only 6'2", um, which kind of makes it so he'll never have that top kind of blocking ability. Um, but a lot of tight end blocking comes down to desire. He has that. Problem is he does disappear for games at a time. Um, some of that has to do with how Alabama utilizes their tight ends. They're never going to be number one in the passing game for them. That's why O.J. Howard, when he had his Clemson uh, showings, was such a big deal. We didn't see that with Irv Smith, given the beatdown that Alabama took um, from Clemson. He has games where he looks great, and he has games where you can't find him. But he has a lot of ability. He's definitely... Uh, third tight end in the class before we drop off looking at the uh, late day two, early day three prospects. And one of those is Josh Oliver out of San Jose State. You're saying he's a legitimate deep threat. Interesting to hear from a tight end position. Had a great performance mm-hmm. at the combine. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, absolutely. He ran fast. He jumped high. He did everything that you could have wanted. Um, I love Josh Oliver as a prospect. Couldn't be more excited about him. This is a guy, if we can take away – um, the rest of his life and just focus on the football. Aaron Hernandez is someone who comes into mind when I look at Josh Oliver because he has been used as a blocker in line. He's been used in the slot. They put him outside. They put him at running back. They use him at H-back. They'll use that, you know, Tebow-esque triple option where that pitch inside to the tight end. They tried to utilize Josh Oliver in every way that they could. Um, and the man did well. He goes up for the ball. He bursts once he makes that catch. Um, not afraid of the physicality. Um, he just overall is the kind of guy that I could see really turning out into something and everybody asking themselves, who is this guy? Um, why didn't we watch him at San Diego State, San Jose, whatever? San why, Jose. What are you doing <laughs> at one of those schools? You know, this is the kind of guy that we're going to find out later on. Um, has some great story. Didn't have um, a ton of long-term production. Uh, he wasn't at San Jose State for a while with them. Um, or excuse me, excusing him with another with uh, my next prospect, Sternberger. Um, Oliver does have um, some great production. If you look at his numbers, if you watch his highlights, I think there's a lot to be impressed by um, by someone you're likely going to see get his name called early on day three. Sounds like a New England Patriot if I've ever heard one before. Yeah, he he definitely has that potential. Um, with the Patriots, who would love someone like that, especially with Gronk's retirement. Um, I know a lot of mocks right now have them taking a tight end earlier. Um, I'm not going to give too much away. Stick around if you want to hear where I've got the Patriots going. Um, But he very much could have that. Another spot where I could see him succeeding real well, um, San Diego would be one. I think that the Buccaneers would love to have another weapon for uh, Jameis to work with, for Arians to work with, and I know they just took O.J. Howard, but you know, tight ends, if they could bring someone else in the room for that, just another kind of weapon that there isn't a lot of ability to manufacture. Players like Josh Oliver with this kind of diverse skill set, 
but inexperience and coming from a smaller school, that's someone who could really shine when they put in the right system. All right, talk to me about your number five, Sternberger out of Texas A&M. Yeah, Sternberger. He's got one year of college ball, basically. He had to. Uh, he was at Kansas for two games, left them, sat out the year, transferred to A&M. Um, he is athletic. He's got good size, but this is someone that you are going to need to wait on. Um, Personality-wise, I'm, I'm going to have some questions about him, about why he had to leave Kansas, why he needed to. Now, number one, why you signed at Kansas. Um, if there's a place if there, where you think that you're going to be able to spend for four years, um, what were you missing when you made that decision? Um, and tight end, like I mentioned before, is a slow-developing position. Uh, if Sternberger is going to be willing to work on his blocking so that he can be in the special teams game um, and also play the rest of that piece, again, we're talking potential day three prospect, um, then I think he'll be able to succeed. He's going to get time to build on the talent that he has. But this kid has a lot of talent. Um, that A&M passing game spent most of its time. They had their number one receiver. They had Sternberger. And they spent a lot of time looking at him. Jimbo Fisher um, definitely tried to make the most out of the one year that he had with the man. All right. So what I want to do now is I want to go over to the offensive tackle or offensive lineman and Let's just do a quick rundown of your offensive tackles and then your interior guys um, so we don't have to spend too much time on the line in totality. But let's just talk about Jawan Taylor. You have him number one. It seemed like Jonah was number one for a long time. Jawan Taylor out of Florida. This is the kind of guy that seems like he's going to just be an absolute monster on the line. And I love what you wrote on in your article. Your first part of describing him is the kind of man whose daughter you don't date. So tell us more about him just briefly and then go into the rest of your top five of the tackles. Taylor's big. He's angry. He loves run blocking, and he loves fighting in the pass protect. Um, he has a great first move. That first step in the pass game is awesome. Um, if you can get him out in space with the screen game, there's nothing he wants to do more than get out in a little bit of space, find a man, and dig him into the dirt. Um, this is a man who is fearless he's fast he's the kind of person that you could say stay on the right for a year or two and then we're moving you right over to left he's got size he's got long arms which you hear scouts talking about all the time with tackles um i think that the one knock on him is that he can sometimes get beat on a quick inside move but that's something that you can coach that's something you can teach um love taylor as a prospect i think he's got a bright future uh, on the left side. You said start on the right and then move to the left. That sounds like Giants at six to me. How about Jonah Williams? Technician as a tackle, starter as a tackle as a freshman for Saban. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of big games and, and a lot of championship pedigree with Jonah. Yeah, um, he is as technically sound as they can come. It, this is another one high floor. Um, the part with Jonah, you talked about the fact that he spent a lot of this year at number one. Um, there have been questions coming up, just the quick two. Does he have the strength? Does he have the quickest first punch? And uh, are his arms long enough? Those are kind of the only three questions about him playing tackle. Those aren't questions to me. I think Jonah is going to be able to play um, on the tackle. He's got the quickest feet that you're going to see. You've got to love quick feet on a tackle. The way the game is getting more spaced out, I think, really benefits him. Um, 
because now you don't just need those long arms to reach. He's going to have the quickness to step side, 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 to find his man, to set that block. Uh, I do see him as a true tackle. All right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dillard, Dillard, Ford, and Reisner real quick, three, four, five. Yeah. Andre Dillard at uh, Washington State. He is a pass protector extraordinaire. They don't do a lot of running in Mike Leach's system. Um, nice feet. He can get off balance. He can get moves. Um, but he squares up well. He finds his man, steps up to him. Cody, Cody Ford, um, he and Dalton Reisner have this same piece in common. They're, they eat glass. They're angry men. They're tough as they come. Uh, Cody Ford is another one. They've talked about moving to guard. I think he'll play right tackle and do just fine. He's nasty. He wants to beat you into the ground. And Reisner is a lot of the same uh, way. Reisner is a big man. We're talking 6'7". We're talking a huge, huge body here. Higher center of gravity than you want with that size. But he does have that quick jab, that first hand flying up to meet someone in pass protection. Um, and in the run game, he is just he is ecstatic to be there um, going head-to-head with somebody and trying to dig him into the dirt. Good stuff, my man. Okay. Just really fast on the interior offensive lineman. I like your review here saying one of the deeper positions of the class, especially rounds two through three. So we're going to be looking at day two and into uh, a lot of day two action rather. So you got Garrett Bradbury out of NC State at one, Chris Lindstrom out of BC at two, Drew Samia, number three out of Oklahoma, Eric McCoy, number four out of A&M, Texas A&M that is, and then number five, Michael uh, Deiter out of Wisconsin. You know I like those big 10, big hog mollies down there. So just talk talk about those five real fast for us. Yeah, let me just run through them all for you. Uh, Garrett Bradbury from North Carolina State. Uh, When you see him on mock, he is one of my favorite picks once we get to that um, in that first round. He is a plug-and-play center. I think that he will just walk in day one, um, could play guard, but – Keep him at home in center, and you've got the man in the middle of your line for 10 years. Chris Lidstrom, run-heavy scheme. That's what you're going to expect in Boston College. Played a year at right tackle. True guard, though. Um, He looked strong when he was in pass protection, um, but he stays low. He drives well. He's a true guard, whereas Eric Bradbury is a center. Lindstrom is a legit guard. Drew Samia from Oklahoma, strong center, a little bit on the weaker side, sometimes gets beat with quick hands. One of the spots where you will see him best is in the screen game or pulling. Get this man moving in that offensive line, and he'll do great for you. Eric McCoy is someone who can go center or guard. Um, Again, this is the kind of zone scheme, zone run. Um, that we hear so much about, the types of thing that Kyle Shanahan runs where everybody's moving to the same size, that's going to show off the quickness that someone like McCoy has. He's going to need to get a little bit bigger, um, but he's not beaten off the ball. You're not going to be able to beat him on the snap count. He's first up waiting for you. And then uh, Michael Deiter, low anchor. He plays well inside. He spent some time at tackle. He did much better at guard, but he's played every position on the line. Um, That's a high IQ guy. That's someone you want in your room. Uh, Usually teams are carrying eight offensive linemen going into a game right now. So you're going to need someone who can, you know, alter positions depending on worst case scenario. We lose a guard and a tackle. I need someone who can play a little bit of both. Um, Dieter's got it. Good deal, man. Okay, so let's transition over to defense. We're going to do the same thing with the line uh, that we just did there. There's a lot of names that people are going to be 
reminded of here um, just due to the talent. You mentioned here for interior defensive linemen, the top of this position may be as good as any. And then, of course, the edge rusher deep at the top, but the group will thin out quickly on day two, highlighted by some big-time prospects. So let's go fast with the interior defensive linemen. you got Quinnen Williams from Alabama at one, Ed Oliver from Houston at two, Christian Wilkins out of Clemson, Jerry Tillery out of Notre Dame, and Dexter Lawrence out of Clemson. So we're seeing some of the top programs highlighted here with their interior D-line. Let's talk about those guys. Yeah, Quinnen Williams, um, he is just – He's as good as a defensive tackle prospect could be. Collapses the pocket well, stays firm in the run game. Great size. If there was a critique about Williams, it's that he only had one year of production. He's got room to grow in his game, and the fact that there is room to grow just speaks to the athleticism because the man has a great set of skills and different abilities, both with the hands, the swim move, the power moves, the speed, the bull rush. Quinnen has it all. Um, most people are wondering whether or not he's the top player in the draft, not whether or not he's the top D lineman on the board. Uh, number two, I have Ed Oliver uh, from Houston. This guy's a bit of a tweener. They tried to put him at nose tackle. He's a legitimate three technique. Um, I think that he was a bit misused at Houston. There are questions about whether or not he has that final finishing move, but if you go back a little bit in the tape since before he was getting legitimately triple teamed, um, you can see that he does have a little bit more quickness than he was able to show in this last year. And I also think Oliver had a little bit of the um, you know upcoming draft syndrome. He kind of checked out a little bit this season. Yeah, especially playing uh, in Houston, that's, that's very plausible. Exactly. I think being at a smaller school with a coach he thought he was bigger than and Tom Herman, um, they got into a little scuff on the sidelines. I give no mind to it. I don't think there are any questions. Um, any questions regarding that situation, I mean. Um, I do think that he's going to make a lot more noise uh, when he's put in the proper position. So if you take a look at someone like um, – just look at the Rams line last year where they had Indomitian Sue manning the actual middle so that they could put Donald in the three technique. Um, I think that's where Ed Oliver needs to be, not the person right in the middle. Um, He's not a true nose tackle. He's a bit undersized for that, but he has the quickness and a lot of athleticism to work if he's in the right spot. Um, Christian Wilkins at three, he does great in pass and run. I mean, I just don't know what else, what more there is for that. Uh, if you look at some of the analytics about him, you go to something like Pro Football Focus. Uh, he's one of the few that you'll see at the top in both the pass and the run. He's an all-around football player, and you got to love someone who could have been a first-round pick last year and put off the draft because he felt like there was work to do given the season that they had before. And props to him for finishing it off. The best part about Wilkins' game, though, he's got quick hands, and that's going to serve him well just knocking the hands of guards and centers away. Uh, Number four, I have Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. He's a big-bodied guy. Um, He's someone else that the analytics love. Great leverage. That's something that you really got to look at. He keeps his ass low to the ground and lifts. Um, He really has just two go-to moves. He'll try and bat the arms away, Um, and that's kind of the – you know, another one with great hands. I'd call him violent hands. He has heavy hands, and – one of the things that you have to love about a prospect like that, he uses those hands in the tackle as well. He'll come down on the ball and knock that out, force quite a few fumbles during his real two years at Notre Dame playing. 
Um, I think he came out with six fumbles in those two years, which isn't something you typically see from a defensive tackle. Um, so you got to love that as part of his game as well. Uh, number five on this list is Dexter Lawrence. Um, you know, he's a trash can of dirt. You're not going to be able to move him. He's 6'4", he's 340. Look at what someone like Vince Wilfork did for 12 years in today's game. That's the kind of thing Dexter Lawrence can do. And for that size, he does have some pass rush ability. Um, he might need to work on a little bit of quickness, but he is as run-stuffing as they can come and a traditional nose tackle. The last piece I'll add is that had I number six, I think this would be the position calling for it more than any. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons from Michigan, or excuse me, from uh, Mississippi State is another just phenomenal prospect. He has top 10 talent, but he has an issue um, in which a video came out from him in high school um, assaulting a woman. Yeah, and that's he never good. Coming, and he's coming off of an ACL injury. Um, typically, a personality issue is one thing to overcome. An injury issue is another. Uh, if I'm looking at a first-round prospect, which I think all five of these interior linemen have been, um, if I'm looking at a first-round prospect, those two red flags, regardless of his top 10 talent, are too much for me to really mortgage a top 32 pick on. Now, this next position is going to be something very interesting because Tom's Jets hold the number three overall pick, at least for now. And you're going to be looking at a position where they could, if they hold on to it, change the entire fortune of their defensive line. You're looking mm-hmm. at the edge rusher, Nick Bosa, number one out of Ohio State, who up until Kyler declared seemed to be the number one prospect and in some people's minds still is. So let's talk about Bosa. You also are going to see Josh Allen, Montez Sweat, Rashawn Gary, and Brian Burns, all top-tier level prospects. So go ahead and, and hit on those guys for us. Nick Bosa, he, one of the things I love about Bosa's game, and I'm talking this Bosa, not Joey, you can see that Nick has that kid brother in him. Whereas there were questions about Joey's motor a little bit at Ohio State, Nick Bosa is trying to prove that he's better than big brother every time he steps out on the field. Great hands, great bursts. Um, he has exceptional anticipation he's the first one on the line for either side moving when the ball is snapped um the only question is just a little bit of injury um but i think he's as sound a prospect as they come the debate with bosa and josh allen very much reminds me of von miller versus khalil Mack. um and i don't think that anyone is upset with who they got and i don't think they'd be upset if they got the other side too josh allen I think is just explosive as they come. He's got a little bit more strength than they have, um, than most have given him credit for. And the way that you would just describe this man's hips is greasy. This man is lubricated at the waist. He is fast. He is quick. He has that bend and burst that you want to see. And just a variety of moves. He's got a swim and a spin that he's used throughout his time in the SEC. And this, again, if we're talking about competition, If you're going up against left tackles in the SEC and you're putting out your best, they're putting out theirs, and your best beats their best, I think that really speaks to the kind of player that Josh Allen can be. All right, so why don't we move on to the next guy, and that is Christian Wilkins out of Clemson. Montez. Oh, Sweat. you're still curious. So right now we're at uh, Montez. Montez Sweat. Yeah, we're talking about Montez Sweat here at Mississippi State. Yeah, Montez Sweat, if DK Metcalf was the king of the combine, Sweat was the prince. He is an athlete, three syllables here, off the charts, ran faster than Odell at the combine, 
Um, and we're talking about a defensive end here. He put up wide receiver combine numbers. Good anticipation for the snap, but he doesn't have a great burst. Um, if you are wondering about this, man, go back and watch Mississippi State against Alabama. Um, if you don't like Nick Fitzgerald, like I know one of our hosts here doesn't, you might want to not want to watch Mississippi State on offense. But I'll tell you what, it, that Mississippi State defense gave Alabama fits. And that's an offense that we saw as one of the best in their program. Um, this is a man that I think needs to stay on the edge with his hand in the ground. He's a legitimate 4-3 end. Um, I don't see him being bumped in on passing downs. Just let your speed rusher speed rush. Uh, number four, I've got Rashawn Gary. Um, this is a boomer bust pick here with Gary. He came as the number one prospect in high school, um, and he dropped off. He didn't have that great finishing move, but he's someone else that I think has been in the wrong position. They tried to make him that pure edge. They tried to make him a stand-up guy. I see him more as a 3-4 kind of end and someone that I think would be able to move inside um, for pass rushing. We're talking about a defensive end who's 6'4", 280, as athletic as they come. His athleticism is above average, to say the least. Um, but I think his highest ceiling is going to be bumping him inside from where they had him at Michigan. A high riser from this draft and a player that I think can have a big uh, career, if not someone who can build on strength and have a great career, is Brian Burns from Florida State. Um, you know, the phrase with someone like him, lighten the ass. He's not going to be able to really hold down if a pulling guard comes across and gets him in the run game. But this is a man with speed and explosion as close to anybody else and someone else whose hands come down on the ball in the tackle, four, six fumbles in the last two years. Um, his size does hold him back, or rather his lack of size holds him back in the run game. He always tries to shoot the gap rather than take up space and let the players around him make the play, let the safety come down, let the middle linebacker come around and get it. He's the one trying to shoot the gap and make the play himself. So I do think he needs a little bit of size on him, and you'll have to ask the question, if that kind of size that you'll need to add for someone like Brian Burns could take away from the explosion that he has. But even if he stays just as is, the man has great range, a pure explosion, and is going to be a good pass rusher for someone who takes him in the mid-first round. Tom, do you see any of these guys that you would want the Jets to hold the number three pick for? Obviously, I'd like Bosa, but I don't know if he's going to be there at number three, even so with the Oakland Raiders sitting there at number two. Um, 49ers are at two. I'm sorry, the 49ers Oakland, yeah. are at two. Oakland's at four, I believe. Yep. But um, I I would like Allen if they're. I mean, I've read a lot of reports that says they're hell bent on getting rid of that pick and moving back in the draft. But if none of that comes to fruition, I would love Allen. I think he really changed the game. Sounds like he could be a game changer on mm -hmm. on the Jets' defensive line for sure. I absolutely agree, and that's someone. If you think about the way that, and I don't want to start comparing these players skill wise to these two. But the way that the Texans has used Clowney and Watt in the last two years, we've got Leonard Williams as that interior three technique kind of guy. And then we have Josh Allen as the outside edge rushing type. Um, I think a lot of people would want to play them on opposite sides. But if you line them up on the same side and just try and collapse the pocket to one, you know, on one side, I think that's a way that the Jets could really start manufacturing a pass rush with just a few players getting added and moved around in little pieces. Good deal. Well, when we get to your Jets and Giants mocks, it'll be interesting to see where you put that, uh, where, where you have them going. All right, mm -hmm. quick on linebackers, Devin White. 
LSU, this guy is a freaking stud, man. I love watching this guy play, and there's nothing he can't do, in my opinion, especially playing in the SEC West. Quick rundown on him. Yeah, uh, Devin White, I'm probably alone in this. Um, I think that Devin White is the number one player on my board. He is everything that you could want in a linebacker. Um, He's done this. His whole life has basically just been trying to run around and hit people. Uh, He lays the lumber on a tackle, and he hasn't been thrown out for any sort of targeting, which is what you need. I want my linebacker to be a big hitter, and I need him in the game. Um, His tape got validated at the combine. This is what you always want to hear. You don't want to see someone who just shows up great, and all of a sudden their athleticism seems to be lacking. Um, This is a linebacker running with the receivers and blowing a lot of them away. A touch inconsistent in coverage, maybe, um, but a lot of that has to do um, with a bit of what LSU plays. Uh, I think he dropped into the hook. He's dropped into the flat and done well. He's someone who's going to be able to um, cover wide receivers well out of the backfield as well. When he covers tight ends, which is more of the kind of man thing that LSU's played, um, he trails the tight end, stays right in their pocket. So that's a piece that is going to be dependent on the coordinators and the types of things that they want. Um, But as overused as the phrase sideline to sideline can be used, I think it is as clear for someone like Devin White and not just someone like Devin White, but for Devin White. This is a man with a very high ceiling and a very high floor. Um, He's someone that you're going to stick into the middle of your defense and you have that leader for the next 12 years. Uh, I think he's going to make a huge impact wherever he ends up. Uh, Devin Bush, I think, is really similar to White. He's a bit smaller, he's stockier, and a touch behind him in speed, um, but he flies to the line. Um, Just one more piece about both of these uh, running, or rather, linebackers. I think that the way that we saw Dante Hightower used by the Patriots on occasion, where they would take that. Uh, middle linebacker, go zero coverage and move him up to the line in the pass rush. That's an ability that I think that even if those two didn't get to show very often, the athleticism that they have is going to be able to um, translate into that position as well. So I think both of them also carry a touch of pass rushing potential that you could use. Well, you got to like, I I was just going to say, you got to like that comp because Hightower has been an incredibly good player for a long time. Yeah. And white is more athletic than Hightower is. All right. That that just goes without question. Um, I think there are two elite linebackers in this group, um, and the rest we're talking about day three players. Uh, Ben Burkiven from Washington, someone who's undersized but does all right shutting blocks for what he, you know, is as a bit of a smaller linebacker. But if he gets caught, he's not going to be able to fight through. Um, Mac Wilson from Alabama is my number four. He's someone that when it comes to coverage does very well. He finds ways to just get into the passing lane. He does a great job of reading the quarterback. Um, For a linebacker in zone coverage, he does well at reading the quarterback. Um, His hands are great. Wide receivers would like to have some of his highlights on catches. Um, In the run game, though, he struggles reading angles. He's very inconsistent. Um, Sometimes he can lay on a big hit, but other times he's like a wet paper towel. You just throw him on the window and it slides off. Um, (laughs) And that's not what anybody's looking for in a linebacker. Not at all. And and my number five is Blake Cashman from Minnesota. Um, Another kind of Big Ten position you like to see. High IQ, leader in the locker room, lower ceiling, 
but a high floor. He's someone that I think is a rotational player, a special teamer, and someone that you can bring in um, in goal line situations just as someone who's going to come in, give you the kind of body and physicality you need. I think he's someone who's going to have a good career. All right, let's go to corners. Corners. Here we go. Now we're talking. Um, I think that this class, as a bit of a group here, I don't see anybody going in the first half of the first round. But from 15 to 40, um, there's a lot of players. We could see something like seven corners going in that round, Jeez. in that range. Um, and I think it's another one that gets deeper again on day three. So at my top, I've got Greedy Williams. I know he's someone who's been taking a hit in this pre-draft process. Um, washcloth tackler. He chooses when to tackle, and tackling in a corner is more valuable now than ever. But if we're talking about one person across the field from a wide receiver, stop that play. Greedy Williams at 6'3 with his greasy corners is the one that I want. And I'm going to judge my corners on the number one thing I need them to do, which is stop the receiver across from him from making a catch. And that's what Greedy Williams does better than anyone. At 6'3 as a corner, he's pretty unique in a lot of what he can do and a lot of what the game is looking for. All right, DeAndre Baker from Georgia, SEC again. Uh, another SEC guy. One of the pieces I love about his tape, um, he has almost a 50-50 split between man and zone coverage. And that's not something that a lot of corners have. Um, defensive coordinators are going to love being able to watch that and see that bit of versatility. Um his combine wasn't spectacular, but I think he just he did enough to check the boxes. Um, what he brings is a sound tackler, a high IQ corner, a phrase I've been using a bit too much, but when you can do that much zone and man in an SEC defense run by Kirby Smart where there's just so much else going on, um, you know that you're getting the player who's going to come in and really make an impact early on at the corner position. Uh, number three, this is one of my favorite players, Rocky Sin. Great all-time name. All-time name, all-time name, name right there. Yeah, Temple Tom, Owl. you'll remember that name. Yeah, that, that's one that I won't have trouble with. Yeah, Rocky Sin. Um, and he's one I think you'll be hearing come off in day one as well. This is a kind of corner that if there was a corner fight club, it would just be the Rocky Sin club. Because this <laughs> man is running around trying to make every hit on that field. He's as physical as a corner can be. He wants to be impressed. He wants that one-on-one, and he'll just be jawing at you all night. Um, the way that we're starting to use the bubble screens, the quick hitters out wide and the uh, for the wide receivers, he flies up to meet them. He flies up in the run game. He's not afraid of any kind of lineman, anyone who could be blocking him. Um, he's the kind of person who doesn't need to be taught or motivated to tackle. Um, he doesn't play a lot of zone. Temple didn't. So that's a, kind of a raw area for him. But that physicality and that man coverage that he has is something that's going to be valued in a lot of uh, defenses right now. Number four, I have Byron Murphy from Washington. Uh, he played a bit of man, a bit of zone. Um, but the number one thing that they played in Washington was that cover three zone, something like a Seattle defense. Um, and he'll benefit from a team running a scheme like that. He has a quick reaction from there. Um, and once he makes that piece, he's going to be able to track the ball well in the air to make the play on it. Um, but the problem with him, he doesn't stick well in man. And when he gets caught looking into the backfield in man, he doesn't have that great makeup speed. A touch light, but at 6'1", he has good size for the position. Uh, I think these four are pretty much set as a tier one. 
After that, we're talking about different players from Jojon Williams, uh, from Vanderbilt to Lonnie Johnson II out of Kentucky. Uh, but my number five is Trayvon Mullen from Clemson. I like what he brings to the field because he's so great at the ball with the air. Um, his ball skill abilities are just bar none right now. Um, he's up there with this elite group. He can get a bit too aggressive, though, trying to make the interception. So he'll get bit on a couple double moves. But watch that Alabama tape this year against some top receivers. And this is a guy who's going to be able to make a name for himself in the league. So those are my top five corners. Uh, what do you gentlemen think about uh, the kinds of players I'm listing out here? I mean, the, what's interesting to me is the fact that the corner position is – you know, something that obviously has been highlighted by guys such as Darrell Revis, and you have some top-tier corners like a Jalen Ramsey right now. I, I'm more interested in to see what Greedy could do because Greedy is a guy to me that I've heard nothing but top stuff about, but that then he slipped a little bit. So what I'm more interested in just to hear about is your safeties because you said that there's talk about safeties being higher day one then there will be corners. Uh, Tom, how about you, man? Any questions on your end about your – I mean, you, from a Jet perspective, you got, your secondary is pretty loaded up right now, but where do you see some of those corners going? Um, I have to agree with Mike. I think they're going to go a little bit later just because that they seem to have fallen off, but I think Greedy Williams is going to be head and shoulders above the rest of these guys just from the sheer size. You're looking for a little bit taller of a corner nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. but I think that they're going to be, I think they're going to be a little bit lower and I think the safety, it's a little bit deeper and there's a little bit more talent. Yeah. I got to agree with you on that. Tom, 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 we have a safety class. <laughs> Dude, I'm one. hyped on that one. Day one, day two, um, prediction. You heard it here first. We're going to get more safeties drafted in the first hundred picks than we will corners. This safety class is as deep as they come. Uh, one of the top guys coming in here for the safety class, um, another Alabama player, uh, Deontay Thompson, he's falling out of that top five because this safety class is so deep. Um, I'm leaving it off with someone who is just a legitimate free safety that they've also used in a box. This is one of those small school guys we all love hearing the stories about. Um, Nasser Adderley from Delaware. He has great range that you want to see in that free safety. He's a hand catcher. He meets the ball, and he's someone who used to play corner and then moved to safety, and that shows in man coverage. When he moves down, has to play in the slot, has to cover a tight end. Um, He's someone that's going to be able to do those things, which translates so much more right now in today's game than they have before. Uh, Jonathan Abram, if you're looking for an in-the-box safety, he is your guy. Um, this isn't an article for comps. This isn't a pod for comps. None of what we're doing here is all about comps, but it's hard to mention Jonathan Abram and not say that he just looks and plays and feels like Keanu Neal right now with the Atlanta Falcons. Not a great free safety, has struggled doing the deep middle, but if you're talking about an in-the-box linebacker, this man is hyper-aggressive fucking thrives on physicality and that's not something you see out of a ton of safeties um the only issue he has in tackling is over aggression trying to get that fumble and trying to take someone's head off um another area for him i'd say blitzing um we don't have a ton of uh safeties that just come into the league with that ability and with a range of moves in the blitz um he's someone who's going to be able to do well in zone if we're talking curl hook flat in man, especially in that slot, and then blitzing is one of the places where I think he does better than anyone else in this class um, in the secondary. My number three is another 
uh, strong safety, Taylor Rapp from Washington. Um, again, someone doesn't do great in the deep middle, but he's someone who's going to burst and meet the ball carrier. He has that Landon Collins ability where you could almost see him moving to linebacker, but I think that he's a legitimate safety, um, especially if you can keep him in the box, keep him in the flat. Someone else um, also blitzes like a pro is going to have that. Um, and once the ball is caught, he's not always as good as some of these others um, when it comes to the actual man coverage aspects particularly, but his instincts take over when the ball meets someone's hand and he will just go and make the play. Um, my number four player here for the safeties is Juan Thornhill from Virginia. This is someone who's been a slot. They've been a corner. They're a safety. This is someone all over the field. That versatility is more important in today's game than it's ever been before. Um, and if there's someone we're going to call a ball hawk in this draft, it's Thornhill. This is someone um, who just finds ways to make plays. He needs to be a little bit more anticipatory. Um because he does have a lack in terms of top quickness and top acceleration, but those abilities for anticipation are the kinds of things that you really want when someone's playing that deep middle. Uh, and my number five here is a player that I love, Darnell Savage. This is as pure as a free safety gets. Um, he hasn't done a ton in middle third. Maryland does a lot of cover two, cover four. Um, he has played some middle third, which is more of what we're looking for in free safeties in today's NFL. But this is a man with elite speed. We're talking sub 4-4 four, four speed here for Savage. He will catch up that bad read and someone who, else who is just as aggressive as can be. Coming down from that middle, coming down from his half in the zone, He's looking for that big play. He's looking for um, the ability to just drop the hammer on that crossing receiver, take someone's head off when they're looking up in the post. Um, and I think that's someone who is just going to step into this league as a free safety, make some mistakes along the way. But in two or three years, we're going to be talking about him as someone who could develop into being one of the top free safeties in the league. Awesome. So Darnell Savage was our Mr. Irrelevant for that uh, for that rundown, just because of the order that you went in. So that's your top five at each position. Um, we're going to run through the Jets and the Giants mock draft really quick, and then we're going to rapidly go through your first round, your entire first round mock, which I actually think it's pretty cool that we haven't put this article up yet because it's going to be a surprise to Sean, maybe. I don't know if you guys have spoken about it, but it's sure as shit going to be a surprise to me. So I'm excited to hear about that one. But real quick, let's lead off with the New York Jets. So anybody that's uh, reading along, pull up that article on sorrysports.com. Um, and at pick number three, you have Josh Allen. That is their first round pick, number three for the Jets. They are taking Josh Allen. Obviously, you haven't taken into, into account trades or anything like that. You're just going best player on the board here. So what I'm kind of looking at in these mocks is a little bit best player on the board. I'm looking at the needs of these pieces and what I've been hearing just scrolling through the rumor mill and the rest of it. Um, Josh Allen at three, I think Jets – as desperately as everyone says they want to get out of that pick, if the value isn't there to move on from three, I think Josh Allen would be a great pick at a massive need for the Jets. As much as they'd love to help out Darnold a bit more, there just isn't that top-level talent for the positions that they really need. I think Josh Allen is one of the best players. He's in the top tier when we're talking about this class. Um, he's someone that I think, especially, again, when he plays against top competition, he played great, and those hands are fast. 
All right, so moving on to round two. This is pick 68. Why don't you go ahead and give me his name, too, because I have no fucking idea how to pronounce Yadni it. Kajuste. <laughs> there we go. Good job on that one. He is out of West Virginia. So why don't West you tell Virginia. us a little, bit of the, uh, a little bit about the offensive tackle there? Yeah, so a lot of what you're going to see in the rest of this draft is trying to help out last year's pick in Sam Darnold. I think there's someone um, that they are very much going to need to build around. Um, he's someone that is going to be able to come in. He may not be a day one starter because we're talking round three here. We're talking pick 68. But he's the kind of tackle in a pass-happy offense with good technique who's pretty mobile. Even though he doesn't have the perfect tackle frame, he doesn't have great strength, but he's someone here who is going to be able to come in, compete for a spot at that right tackle, potentially move inside where it'll be a bit easier for him to read the game itself. Um, he's going to come in and offer depth and become a potential starter on a struggling offensive line, and I think that's pretty good value at 68. I think so too, especially since you're you're losing your second round pick. I mean, he seems like a very good value guy there, and I like what you said here. Take a sigh of relief, Jet fans. They're giving Darnold help. Uh, I've made fun of I'll Tom for uh, Tom calling Sam Darnold his baby boy. He desperately needs him to win uh, for Let's the get sake safe, of the franchise. So get it's him out, a little safety. They're get getting him a little, little help, which there. is good. Josh Al- yeah. Josh Oliver out of San Jose State, pick the tight 93. end. At pick 93. I'm excited about this one. After you broke down and he's in the top five tight ends, you really have me excited about this pick. Yeah, I don't want to do too much time repeating what I said, but I think especially for the Jets where Adam Gase has been talked about as this great offensive mind, he disappointed some people in Miami, but I think that Miami team also spent some time disappointing him. Um, I think he's going to be someone who wants to prove that he's still got that offensive mind, and the versatility of Oliver is someone that I think um, is really going to help Gase showcase his abilities as well. Yeah, I'm excited about that pick. So moving on to pick 105, you have Anthony Johnson, wide receiver out of Buffalo. Finally, a little bit of uh, some skill positions going on with the previous pick and then this one as well. Yeah, so uh, last one we got a uh, tight end. Here we've got a wide receiver from Buffalo. We know the Jets are in need. He's someone who I think is just He's average. He's a bit above average in a lot of areas, but he does two things exceptionally. He has great after-catch ability. He's going to be able to catch that bubble screen, that quick out, turn up, and try and make something out of it. Um, And he's someone that also has run a lot of routes. So I think he's going to be able to come in a little bit more advanced than a lot of other wide receivers that you'd be getting at this time. And then I got one more wide receiver for you at 196, uh, Jalen Hurd. He's listed at wide receiver because that's what he played last year, but he also transferred from Tennessee where he played running back for a couple of years there. Uh, problem with that, he's 6'5", and there aren't a lot of those in the league. I think he's someone who's talented, um, who's going to come in with a high motor, who's going to be offering contributions on special teams, who has some athleticism, but needs a lot of molding, a lot of development in the wide receiver abilities. But the athleticism and the abilities that he has come in, I think he's going to find a place in the league. Quick question for you, man, before you do your last Jets pick. You had here in your alternate selections for them and the, and at this pick, Jimmy Morrow a corner out of James Madison and Will Harris a safety out of BC, two secondary positions in a position where you can say the Jets are pretty loaded. Is that what convinced you to go with the wide receiver in this pick? Or did you yeah, just think he's the most valuable player here? I think it's a touch of both. I think Hurd needs the right situation. Um, there's talk of him potentially going higher than this. The way I tried to keep my 
uh, seven round mocks as I was looking at player rankings from multiple places. I saw some were heard was out of the top 200 and I saw others were heard was closer to 175. So he may or may not be there. Um, I think he'd be great value for them at 196. Um, there has been talk about the Jets still trying to go out and find some corners in this draft. I haven't found a place where the value really matched up. Um, Jimmy Moreland from James Madison, he's one of the sleepers that I have in this class, but I'm going to be talking about him a little later on, um, so I won't go too deep into that. But I do think that um, corner depth would do the Jets well. Yeah, absolutely, after them letting uh, Claiborne go as well. Yeah, who's still looking for a home, so um, Maybe they take it's not him back, possible but... that he finds his way back. He could find his way across town to another corner-needy team in the New York Giants. I think that he's a player much like Ndamukong Sue and a couple others still in the market who are going to find homes after the draft. Last player for the Jets, Albert Huggins, interior defensive lineman out of Clemson. Albert Huggins. Yeah, he's a player who just didn't get to see the field a lot. Um, it's tough to when you have a pair of first-rounders at the inside uh, line positions in Wilkins and Lawrence. Um, but he's someone who has top talent. He came in with some good talent, just couldn't find the home, couldn't beat out first-rounders, but that's why we're not talking about him as a first-rounder. Uh, he's someone who has a good frame. He's someone who holds his own in the, uh, when he's trying to get blocked. He's someone, especially in the run game, who will keep his position for you and let the other players come make their plays. Um, but he's someone who's going to need a lot of development. We're here towards the end of the draft. Um, he's someone who could really hit, someone who could find his way into a rotation, or someone who could be cut in training camps, the nature of the business. All right, so why don't we move on to the Giants. Uh, Sean's team, I don't know who you're a fan of, Mike. Are you a Giants fan? I am. Okay, so this is a team that's at a real crossroads, obviously, to recap. Traded Odell Beckham, traded a lot of players over the past few years for draft picks. So let's mm-hmm. see how they can make do on it. So at pick number six in the first round, you have them taking Dwayne Haskins at the quarterback position. Yeah, I had a lot of shakiness about this pick until April 15th. Um, I even thought Drew Locke was more their guy when we're talking about experience and some of those pieces. Um, but on April 15th, two things happened. Dwayne Haskins took a two-day visit to the Meadowlands to meet with the Giants, and it was the first day of voluntary workouts where the entire coaching staff and where the vast majority, if not all of the team, was in the building. And I think that says something about who they're looking at um, with that pick. So that's the major reasons in addition to the skills I've already talked about with Haskins, but that's why I have Haskins at number six. I right. have real quick – Alternate selections here. So there's a lot. The This one pick we got to just talk about briefly because mm-hmm. there's so much going on here. Obviously, the Giants made the Odell trade to get yep. another first-round pick. There's speculation, and the talk is that Gettleman will take the best player available. And if this, you know, whether it be a smokescreen or legitimacy coming from him at these press conferences that Eli Manning has two or three years left is valid – they're not going to take a quarterback at number six, and there's a lot of other holes on this team. You have in your alternate selections here Montez Sweat from Mississippi State and David White, the linebacker out of LSU, both the top players at the two of the top players at the positions that you highlighted earlier. Mm-hmm. You have Haskins. You mentioned the shakiness. Would it surprise you at all if they go Montez Sweat or Devin White here? 
I would throw another name in there. Jawan Taylor, the offensive tackle. Yep. I was doing third alternate selection. I think you could plug him into the right once Solder's gone. He slides right over to the left. Um, and we know he keeps talking about all those hog mollies up there. Um, he's another one, and I'm not surprised with anything that Dave Gettleman does at this point. Quellen Farrell, the edge rusher out of Clemson at number 17 overall, their second first-round pick that they that they acquired from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that if you say this pick could go quarterback if they go defense earlier, but if we go based off of your mock and the Giants take Haskins at six, this is the best player available for them at this point. Absolutely, and it's a major position of need. Farrell's been very productive. He has an array of moves. Um, the only reason I have a edge rusher getting picked at 17 who's not in the top five just speaks to how good that class is right now. Um, but after Farrell, there just aren't a lot of edge rushers um, until we're talking day two and more likely day three with someone like O'Shane Zimenez. Um, but Cleveland Farrell, I think, is going to be someone who, with Marcus Golden being there, the kind of better systems that he likes to run where we're talking man coverage and we're talking rush the passer. Um, I think Farrell could do well. I think he's got the kind of strength that you'd need. I think he has a lot of different moves. Um, and I think that the Giants could actually put together a pass rush with someone like that. All right, so let's sprint through uh, picks number 37 through number 245. Number 37, um, you have Dalton Reisner, whatever. Yeah, I'll try and do better with the sprinting. Uh, Reisner, again, we talked about him. He's an angry blocker, and I think he's the kind of person who could slip in, right tackle, immediate starter, and be a big upgrade on what I think will be an upgraded offensive line. Uh, 95, uh, Giants don't go again until 95. So, again, if they address quarterback, wouldn't be shocked to watch them um, try and flip 37 and move backwards. Um, 17 is another spot where I could see them go either way, potentially up to 12. Let's say they don't take a quarterback at six. Maybe they try and go from 17 to 12 with the Packers, who have shown they're willing to move down in pass drafts, um, or 37 up. They go 17 back. There is a lot of movement that can be done. Uh, at 95, I have Isaiah Bugs, the D lineman from Alabama, a plugger, strong hands, touch of quickness. Someone's going to sit down there and just wait. Uh, 108, Miles Boykins, or Boykin, who's someone who's going to be a big outside target. Right now, a lot of people think that they've got two slot, uh, slot receivers. Um, in New York. I think that Chef is going to surprise some people on the outside, but this is a pure outside. He's got a couple routes, um, and they're mostly just go, and then it's keep on going. Um, he's a bit of a body catcher, but that size is going to be valuable at 108. 133, I have Gary Johnson. He is just a high-effort guy. He did great at the Combine, but he only had one year at Texas. He was in Juco before, and in coverage, he can get lost. Uh, 142, I have Penny Hart, the wide receiver from Georgia State. This is someone who's going to walk in and be on special teams immediately. Um, He's going to be competing with Corey Coleman for kickoffs. He's going to be competing with uh, Peppers for punts. Uh, He is as quick as they come, but he comes in at 5'8", which is a bit of why he's here in addition to being in Georgia State. Um, If we're talking about Shermer knowing offense, similarly to how we talked about Gates and giving him someone like Oliver – Give, some, give him a penny heart. Give him a gadget. Give him someone who can really elevate an offense if they find a home, if they can do those things. Um, at 143, 
Got to give Gettleman another hog molly. Dennis Daly out of South Carolina. Offensive tackle. He's a mauler, but he gets caught reaching now and again. He's a bit slow off the ball, but he's someone with size, someone who really likes to fight, and someone who also had two years at JUCO before he went to University of uh, South Carolina. He's someone, again, um, that I think would be able to move into guard, potentially, again, as that eight-man team uh, going into games. Uh, this Giants draft, I think, has to take a lot longer than that Jets one that we just went through. It's a little testament to uh, – number of picks that they have if i had to guess um at 171 i have michael jackson the corner from miami um someone who plays a lot of man someone who's really physical doesn't have great makeup speed um but he's someone who sean's favorite player very sarcastically in grant haley could be replaced by um god i hope so yeah taking grant haley out of the slot i think someone like michael jackson could go in there doesn't have great makeup speed, doesn't have the greasiest hips. Um, he's someone that I also think um, also think would do better on the outside, even if he starts some time in the slot. You know, Giants fans need to remember the reason there isn't a third round pick this year is because of Sam Beal, uh, who was hurt during the offseason last year, but was taken uh, in the third round of the supplementary draft. So we are going to be infusing more corner talent into that. But now the legitimate person who could come in and step in as a slot corner, uh, more so than Michael Jackson, who has that outside ability, is Jimmy Moreland, the corner from James Madison. Uh, anywhere from the fifth to the seventh round is being talked about him. I think that he would be fighting for that spot. If you watch James Madison's games against uh, first or division one talent, his competitiveness shows um, and his ability also comes through. He's someone that can walk on, get some special teams positions and that slot position. He will be legitimately battling some with Michael Jackson, if this draft were to play out, but also with Grant Haley as a potential replacement there. At 232 and at 245, I have a pair of LSU players. Uh, 232, again, we're talking center. We're talking SEC. We're talking physicality. Um, Garrett Brumfeld, he's a little bit light, but he's someone, again, with that position at the seventh round. Um you get him in an NFL weight room, he could potentially offer some depth there. And at 245, I have the running back from LSU, Nick Brossett. Um, I know a lot of what we're trying to do is just keep talking Saquon, Saquon, Saquon. Um, if anything happens, we're going to need people to come in. And I don't think that Gallman has shown enough, particularly as a downhill runner, to be a lone backup. I certainly um, agree I with that. Yeah, and I think Brossett, with his experience and his downhill um, running style would be a balance with that. Um, if Barkley has to come out on a third and one, third and two sort of play, um, Brosset would be someone who could step in and just truck ahead for a couple yards um, and just offer a little bit of depth there. I think this Giants draft is absolutely fascinating. There's so many ways, as you mentioned, that they could go. And Gettleman has shown that he will take the best player available more so than just take you know, the player of need, it, it, the whole Eli thing is, and Tom alluded to it, that's going to be the overarching question. How much time do they think Eli has left? And when it comes to the quarterback for me, Tom, you can speak to this as well. 
out of anybody that they're looking to draft, whether it be number six, number 17, trade in between the two to get, take it 37, I want to know who do they project that in 2020 can step in with clearly a much more improved offensive line, skill position players, and step in and lead them to the playoffs. Because it's not about this year. Eli will be starting in 2019. It's about after that. I absolutely agree with that. And so the question then comes with Gettleman. If we're talking about the best players in the draft, who does he have? Who is that best player? Now, in a different piece, uh, the owner of the Giants, Mara, came out and said, not take the best player, but show me the value. And I think that speaks to a little bit more of a moderate tone. Not that Dwayne Haskins would be the best player on the board at six, but the value of quarterback in those pieces, I think, can be shown. Um, I also think that there would be extra pressure put on the Giants if they take a quarterback at six or 17. If they took someone like Greer at 37, or if they moved back a little bit further and took another person that I love as a sleeper at quarterback and Jared Stidham from Auburn, um, I think then there would be a bit more patience to have a year or two of legitimate development and let Eli be the starter, as Gettleman has talked about, as opposed to if they take someone at 6 or 17, Giants fans will be clamoring by week five if Eli throws a couple picks. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that you know a good organization doesn't worry about, but the Giants have been very shaky at best over the last few years, so I worry about that. And I also think that the fact that you took Shaquan Barkley in the draft last year, I mean, I understand that, you know, there's a little bit less pressure if you go for a guy in a later round, the sleeper out of Auburn that you have. But again, that goes against what you guys have been doing the past few years, especially making that investment in Shaquan. You want a guy that can step in within the next few years because Eli is not going to cut it, period. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So all the speculation, the highlighting of the players, it's been awesome. So before the article gets released, everybody's going to hear it on the pod first. Mike French, give us your first-round mock draft. All right, this is going to shock everybody. At number one, I have the Arizona Cardinals selecting Kyler Murray. (laughs) There it is. There it is. Yeah, please uh, try and pick your jaws up off the floor. I know this is going to shock you all. He just is going to work with Cliff Kingsbury, and the fit just makes too much sense. It's all we've heard. When Kyler was visiting the Giants, the talk was that Kyler's agent was already negotiating a contract with them. I'll buy the hype. Isn't it just crazy how quickly this stuff happens where a couple months ago we were talking about, oh, Kingsbury, who didn't know he was going to get the job, was going to say he's going to take him a number one overall, and then, oh, this would never happen. They have a second-year guy in Josh Rosen, and then before you know it, it's set in stone. It's just how crazy how quickly things happen nowadays in the NFL. Absolutely. And just a note on that with uh, Josh Rosen, uh, Sean and I have gone back and forth at other times. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see what the trade market is. I think they could get as much as the 15th overall pick from the Redskins. Wow. Um, but I don't have uh, Josh Rosen trade in this mock. Um, so you'll have to kind of take that into consideration as you list. Cause I also think that Rosen could go for 37 to the giants or um, some sort of mix of picks, potentially a second and a fourth, I think would be another kind of way to um, do that in terms of draft value. All right. So why don't we move on to number two and shoot our way down? Number two, uh, we got Nick Bosa. I've already spoken enough about uh, him and I'm going to try not to repeat myself too often. 
Um, but just with the fit with the 49ers, their interior is pretty well done. They signed D Ford in the offseason, get Bosa across from him, and that uh, front line for the San Francisco 49ers will look pretty impressive. Uh, number three with the Jets, we've got Josh Allen, the edge rusher from Kentucky. Um, just went through that. I think he'd be a great pick for them. Um, four and five, I think, could easily get flipped depending on what happens with uh, the Raiders. Their room right now has two people in it for the draft. It has John Gruden and it has Mike Mayock, who's never been in a draft room before. They fired their entire scouting staff just a couple days ago for reasons unknown beyond the, fact, beyond the fact that they say they don't know who to trust. So that's all that's been said after they let every scout. They They're making the in. Giants look really, really smart. It's Every wonderful. time we think we're going to let the Raiders back in and Gruden on this podcast, he does something and just kick his ass right out the door. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were trying to hold him out, but yeah, it, he's going <laughs> back. And uh, I think they've all but guaranteed themselves a shot at uh, hard knocks this offseason as well. Yeah, right. So who do you have going four, over four? At four, I just went best player on the board with Quinnen Williams. Um, their best player, not mine. I would have gone Devin White if I was using mine. Um, but on most boards, it's Quinn and Williams, so that's where I went with them. I think that he also, as well as Devin White, bring leadership and toughness to the kind of defense, and I think that Gruden um, would really like to have that kind of person on the interior for him. At five, I have the Bucks getting my best player in the draft in Devin White. Um, I think he would immediately upgrade what's been a struggling defense. Um, let Arians and a person that I think will be a, a great future NFL head coach, uh, Byron Leftwich, the old quarterback. Um, he's currently the offensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. Um, I expect them to be much improved with the coaching staff that they brought in. Um, give them a leader and give them someone who's going to be manning the middle for the next 12 years in Devin White at the number five pick. And number six, we just talked about the Giants um, getting Dwayne Haskins. Seven, I have Juwan Taylor, the number one tackle in the draft, going to Jacksonville. Just went inside Nick Foles. You think that defense can revitalize itself a little bit, give Foles a line, give Fournette someone to block in front of him. Um, and I think that that will really help increase what was a major drop-off um, for a team right there. Um, his intensity, I think, will also fit well into a locker room that seems to be a bit divisive. At eight, I've got Montez Sweat going to the Detroit Lions. Um, we've got Patricia running that Matty defense. P. Ziggy Ansa just left. I think he wants that edge rusher. I think it'd be a great fit, someone who's going to fly around that field for him uh, in that silver and light blue. And number nine, this was a tough pick for me. Um, I think that they could go in a lot of ways here. They're obviously looking for help for Josh Allen, either in the line or in the passing game. Um, but given McDermott as the coach, given the kind of players that they've drafted before, particularly in the top rounds, uh, I went with Ed Oliver for the Buffalo Bills here at nine. Um, I think he would step in and replace Kyle Williams, who retired. So we'd have Ed Oliver and Starla Tulele next to each other as a very strong interior for um for the Buffalo Bills in a city where you know you're going to need to stop the run because of how cold and how snowy it's going to get there. You put two people like Ed Oliver and Starla Tulele in the middle of that defense, and I think that it's going to help what has already been quite the emerging defense in Buffalo. And at number 10, just to round out my top 10, I have the Denver Broncos taking TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, the tight end. Um, plenty of great things to say about Hawkinson's. 
Um, but additionally, I'd like to add the fact that Joe Flacco loves his tight ends and John Elway seems to be a bit all in on Joe Flacco. There's talk about how much he loves Drew Locke, the quarterback from Missouri. Wouldn't shock me if Denver takes a quarterback. But right now, I think that they're going to go um, tight end, give Flacco someone to really lean on here in TJ Hawkinson. All right, let's go on down the line, 11 to 20. Where are we looking? All right, so at 11, I have the Cincinnati Bengals taking linebacker Devin Bush. Again, we're going to give them a leader, put him in the middle of the defense, let Zach Taylor run the offense. This is another spot where I think the quarterback could potentially go, but I look at the Bengals as a team who would like a quarterback a little bit later in the draft. Uh, Number 12, Green Bay Packers. They spend a lot of money on their defense. Let's use the draft to help Rodgers. I've got Jonah Williams from Alabama. He's someone who could easily bump inside. He could play all over the line if need be. Um, Help keep Rodgers upright. Uh, I think that Jonah would do really well in that situation in Green Bay. I have the Dolphins getting Christian Wilkins from Clemson. They're desperate for a quarterback. All the talk is that they're waiting for 2020. Um, Another team that I would expect to try and trade back to get picks for 2020. Um, So potentially if the Giants wanted to jump up from 17 to 13 to beat Washington on a quarterback, potentially, I think they could become uh, strange bedfellows in this moment. Uh, But Christian Wilkins is the pick here from Clemson. At 14, I have Rashawn Gary going to Atlanta. Um, Again, he's someone who will do a little bit on the edge, a bit inside, but someone who offers a lot of athleticism to a defense that could use an infusion of it. At 15, I have my third quarterback going, Drew Locke, to the Washington Redskins. Um, This is another spot where I almost put DK Metcalf. Um, Those kinds of receiver picks just feel so Redskin-esque. They don't have a quarterback right now, and the way I know that is they have five quarterbacks signed on their roster. Clear sign that that room needs one person to actually have the position. Uh, at 16, I have the Carolina Panthers selecting Brian Burns. They need an edge rusher. The man is fast off the edge, goes from Florida State to Carolina, where I think he'll be able to fit in well in that through 4-3 defense that they run. 17, that second Giants pick, Cleveland Farrell. Already talked about that, so let's keep it moving. At 18, we got Minnesota needing alignment, and Cody Ford is still on the board. Uh, I think he'll be able to move to guard if that's what they want, or he could play right tackle for them. Uh, he'll jump in, instant starter, instant upgrade on that offensive line. At 19, this is one of my favorite picks of the draft, Garrett Bradbury from uh, North Carolina State. Go Wolfpack. Uh, Garrett Bradbury will step in and replace Ben Jones day one. Uh, Ben Jones, the center for the Titans, last year, according to Pro Football Focus, gave up more sacks than any other center in the NFL. Gave up five sacks at the center position alone. Put Garrett Bradbury there. That number drops way down. Um, It really helps that run game improve. We know they want to lean on Henry and that. Helps Mariota get a little bit of time. The hardest place for a quarterback to get pressure is up the middle. Tennessee is given way too much pressure up the middle. Um, Garrett Bradbury plugs that hole. They got to keep Mariota healthy at all costs, too. Absolutely. And they know it's a question since they brought in Tannehill from Miami to back him up. But this team needs to find out if Mariota's the guy, whether or not he is. Garrett Bradbury is going to be a huge upgrade in the middle of that offensive line. 
at 20, I have the Steelers. They would have loved to get one of the linebackers in the draft, but they weren't falling the 20. Um, the first corner comes off the board in DeAndre Baker from Georgia. Pittsburgh has a lot of combo coverages. They have a lot of man disguise as zone and vice versa. With Baker's history doing both, I think he would slip in instant day one starter for that. Uh, we're going back-to-back corners here. Seattle would love for an edge rusher to fall to them, but I don't have one making it this long. Uh, they take Byron Murphy at corner. Goes from Washington uh, University, stays in state, goes to Seattle. Um, steps right in, has that cover three history. It's going to be across from uh, Keith Griffin, and they'll be a good young pair for the Seahawks to keep building with. 22, I have DK Metcalf comes off the board. Uh, wouldn't be the pick I make, but it's a pick I can absolutely see the Ravens making. Um, they've taken Brashad Perriman far higher than this, and I would have Metcalf rated above Perriman for sure. Um, Baltimore's not afraid to go skill position early. They need to find out what they have in Lamar Jackson. You're not going to be able to do that um, with a whole bunch of tight ends. Michael Crabtree at the door. Give him Metcalf. I think Jackson still has a decent throwing motion and a nice enough deep ball. Give him that deep threat in Metcalf um, to try and allow that offense to stretch and take people out of the box. 23, Houston. They need offensive line help. Andre Dillard is right there waiting for him. They take him. Instant pass protection upgrade for Watson, who needs to stay healthy. Um, 23, the rumors about the Texans is somehow they might actually go wide receiver here. Um, Couldn't imagine it happening, but we've all seen stranger things uh, than that happen. I can't recount what they are because it blows my mind that with the receiving core they have and the need on offensive line, um, it just feels like the – anti-dynasty that the Lions built by maybe trying to they, get a bunch of weapons. Maybe they don't trust the the health in Fuller because he seems to get injured at least two times a year. I absolutely agree with that and think that they need some more depth. Just not but first round. Right, but you're not going to be able to find plug-and-play tackles um, by the second-round pick. Um, you know, So we have someone who can step right in and pass protection. Um, perhaps they don't like anybody there, but there's still interior linemen, which they need that whole line to be rebuilt. I think Dillard is just such a clear selection for him. And well, it's and the again, pick that with I would protecting a quarterback, again, that has shown fragility and, and is not the biggest guy in the world, and you would think it would be a dereliction of duty if they don't address that offensive Completely line, which agree. has been a turnstile. Yeah, I think, I think this is the, the clear choice, but hey, you never know. You never know. So I wanted to put that out there for all the listeners as just something to keep an eye on and not be shocked with their shock on draft night. So now we're back to the Raiders. Uh, 24, I have them going Josh Jacobs from Alabama, the running back. Um, They've got a hole there. I understand we all love Marshawn. Um, Beast mode for life. We've all got the T-shirts and the rest. Skittles sending him to Scotland without a script is one of the best things that television has ever done. But they need to start looking ahead. They're moving to Vegas. Josh Jacobs gives them someone in the backfield um, to keep on working with, gives them a weapon um, that they can use in all sorts of ways. Um, And it's not someone who would fall to them at the start of the second round where they have another pick um, because of a couple teams drafting uh, who would also like to see Jacobs fall, I believe, in the Eagles and the Colts right after. I have the Eagles taking uh, box safety Jonathan Abram. He steps in there, flies around. They love to bring extra people in on the blitz, and I think Abram offers that ability. Um, I think Ballard has been 
one of the best GMs since he took over the Colts. Um, I expect him to take someone who's a bit um, underwhelming for the fans, but who's going to step into a need and really help that defense out. And Jerry Tillery, I think, is going to be their pick. Um, I have the Oakland Raiders at 27, taking a John Gruden-type corner. There just isn't an edge rusher at 24-27 for them as much as they would love to have that position addressed. Um, I have them getting Rocky Sin from Temple. He just feels like the kind of Raider pick that John Gruden would love to make. Physical, yeah, that's that's his that's his go-to. Absolutely, and when it comes to corners, we know that John Gruden is never going to be the biggest fan of someone like Greedy Williams. Um, someone like Rocky Sin steps in the physicality, just line up, let him go man to man, and do those pieces. He feels like a Gruden guy at a position of need. At 28, I have Inkeel Harry from Arizona State. Um, they lost Tyrell Williams to the uh, to the Raiders, actually. I think that they still want to ride it out with Rivers. If they're taking a quarterback, it's going to be later on. Um, when I talk about teams who might try and do a second rounder and a fourth rounder to flip for Rosen, I think the Chargers are very much in play for that. Um, a lot of the talk for Rosen has been Chargers, Patriots, and Giants. Um, additionally, the Redskins have been rumored. But I think if it comes down to a first-round pick, I don't think that the Chargers or the Patriots, where teams trying to win right now, are going to pay that kind of price when you can give your team an infusion of talent immediately rather than waiting a couple years for that kind of draft value to kick in. At 29, we all know the Chiefs. I, I very much wanted to give the Chiefs a wide receiver. It just feels like where they're headed, just trying to play basketball scores instead of football here. Um, but I had to go with the top defensive player on the board, Greedy Williams, the corner from LSU. Um, the Chiefs have tackling problems. Steve Spagnolo just came over. Um, he's someone who's going to need to find people to rush the passer. Those guys just aren't on the board. Um, I could potentially see them going with someone like Dexter Lawrence here. Offensively, I could see them even going with another gadget guy like Marquise Brown. They just lost Hunt. There's rumors about Tyreek Hill having some other um, legal issues. So that could be the second player who's explosive that they could lose to something like that. And they might be looking just to keep the Mahomes fever alive for a bit and trying to do a patchwork defense again. Um, Spagnolo comes in. He needs... D linemen, especially edge rushers, to collapse the pocket. That guy's just not here for the Chiefs right now. Um, another team I wouldn't be shocked to try and make a big splash and move up and get an edge rusher. Uh, we saw it happen last year with the Saints. They went from uh, late 20s to, I believe it was 14, with the Packers, just for uh, Marcus Davenport, an edge rusher there. Um, and so that's why we don't have the Saints picking here at 30 next. Well, real um, quick, I, I just the... want to talk about the Chiefs for a second because I think you sure. brought up a really good point. And, Tom, jump in on this too, man, because, you know, they have their – obviously, their Kareem Hunt's gone, and now you've got the Tyreek Hill situations, which is yet to be rectified, and we'll find out what happens there. And, yeah, yeah you want to play basketball scores, great. But their biggest issue, as we saw in the AFC title game, was they can't stop anybody. The Patriots beat them in a track meet twice, first in week five, I believe it was, and then in the AFC title game. And you would think that although they want to make Mahomes great, they can find their next Tyreek Hill, their next Kareem Hunt, somewhere in the second, third, or fourth rounds. Those kind of players exist, especially going off of your top five running backs and receivers. 
So wouldn't it behoove them to to build up that defense? Because they're going to have to stop somebody at some point, no? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And with a player like Mahomes who can do it all, he can play within the pocket or when the pocket breaks, he's probably the best passer outside of the pocket. He can also do things with his legs. He's going to elevate every other player's talent as well. So I think that going later for a skill position player would be a better move. And going defense here is definitely the best play. I absolutely agree with that being what they should do. Just mocks aren't always about the should, and I wouldn't be surprised if Marquise Brown is on the board if the Chiefs didn't make that jump. Yeah. Um, a player to really watch out for with the Chiefs that I would say, um, he's someone that I'm expecting to go round three. I love this kid. Uh, Andy Isabella from UMass. Talk about five, him real fast because he's your favorite yeah, player. 5'9", about 190 pounds. At the Combine, everyone's talking about Metcalf's 4-3-3. Andy Isabella ran a 4-3-1. He's not someone that um, a lot of people are expecting to see put up those numbers, given his tape. He's only 5'9", 5'10", right on that fringe. Um, But he played outside receiver. He's going to be able to make that adjustment to the slot really easily. But he still has that big playability with his speed, with his agility. I think he's someone that would fit perfectly as a day two pick to the Chiefs to really help give that extra burst uh, to a receiving core that has been a bit depleted. There you go. And then there, that allows them to take that uh, that defensive player uh, in their first round. Let's move on to the next pick. Absolutely. So the last three picks in my draft, we have the Packers. I have them uh, helping Rodgers out one more time. You already heard me talk about him as a potential. If the Chiefs decide to go against the grain and go offense, I got Marquise Hollywood Brown for Oklahoma. Kid is Hollywood. Put him with Aaron Rodgers. In this draft alone, just here in the first round, we got Jonah Williams. We got someone to protect Rodgers. Now give Rodgers a weapon. Um, we have a line that struggled. Give him someone quick to hit to um, and another lineman to infuse into that line. Another piece with Marquise Brown that I'll add, I've talked about the coaching elements with the Giants, the Jets, and some of these other pieces. Matt LaFleur has had one year as an offensive coordinator. I've been talking about him as a potential coach for a while, um, much to the dismay of Sean, uh, who hasn't been able to believe the hype for him. He had one year I as haven't. an has a one year as an offensive coordinator. He is another one of the um, people who are getting jobs because of their high football IQ and the relations to people with high football IQs. He was an assistant for Kyle Shanahan as well as Sean McVay before he had one year as the offensive coordinator for the Titans, and now he's just taken over the Packers. They put a lot of money into the defense. Let's put some draft picks into that offense and see what LaFleur can do with one of the, if not the best quarterback in the game, depending on how you want to rate them, and now give him some legitimate weapons he can be clever with. My last two picks, I have the Los Angeles Rams taking Chris Lindstrom, um, the guard from Boston College. They lost Saffold, plug him right into the line. You've got someone mobile. You've got someone who's forceful in the run game and is going to be able to step in as a starter for them. Um, and for the Patriots at 32, everyone's screaming uh, tight end, tight end, tight end. Um, probably the biggest faller out of my draft is someone named Noah Fant, who I think would be a great pick here for the Patriots, but I have them going Dexter Lawrence. Clog up that middle. Um, we've seen them lose a lot of pieces on that defensive line. And we know where the Patriots like prefer to draft um, their weapons. It's usually a bit later on. 
Even Gronk fell into the second round for him. Um, I have them getting an interior guy in Dexter Lawrence who's just going to clog up that middle, bring that run defense an extra step above, um, and really try and put those pieces together around them. Um, I would think the Patriots would look more towards weapons and a potential Brady replacement if he's going to be in this draft um, more day two, day three. Well, you mentioned the Vince Wilfork comp to Dexter Lawrence, and that would fit yeah. quite well based off of his uh, success in New England years ago. So that mm-hmm. was awesome, man. Thank that you. was fucking awesome. Thank you That's so, all I have to say. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you so much for your help with everything. Everybody, remember to go to sorrysports.com. Check out the articles that Frenchie has that we referenced. You'll be put. You'll be sending us your uh, your whole mock that you just listed off uh, in the coming days prior to the draft next Thursday. So we're looking forward to that. And um, really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Listen, I love doing this. I appreciate the chance to uh, come on and talk draft with the two of you. Uh, best of luck. Go check it out on Sorry Sports. And uh, I'd love to hear what you say. So leave some comments. Leave some likes. Leave some dislikes. Hate mail comes through just as easily as the love. So put it all up there. Um, I'd love to see what everyone listening thinks about what I'm saying today. Um, Pass it along to Sean, to Tom, and I'll be looking to try and give you some feedback on yours. So uh, we'll 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 be having you back after the draft too, just to kind of see what went, what happened and how it compared to where you saw everything happening. So uh, we'll look forward to that as well. Absolutely. And if I can get one more guy in, Huge riser right now, Lonnie Johnson, corner from Kentucky. Um, he's a guy who's just been flying up boards lately. Couldn't fit him in mind, but he's another corner that's been making some real moves. So I don't want anyone to say I missed out on him if he goes on Thursday night. So I wanted to sneak him in here too. I, right, I, won't, I won't cut that out then. <laughs> All right, perfect then. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Um, best of luck. Check it out on Sorry Sports again. Thanks for listening, everybody. And – uh can't wait to do this again, boys. All right, man. man. Thank Have a you. good one. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So that pretty much wraps this one up. We that have was our fun. Monday rundown coming up on Monday. We'll be talking NBA playoffs, MLB, everything else. Can the but Yankees that about... win this series? Yeah, they should. Yeah. They should, but who knows? Nice. We'll find out. But um, everybody enjoy the rest of your weekend. Happy Easter as well. That is this Sunday. And happy Passover as well. Oh, and Passover as well. Um, and we'll be back on Monday. I hope you guys enjoyed this one, and let's hope the draft plays out like he predicted. That's right. Take care, everybody.